All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be looking at two chapters today, uh, chapter 7 and 8. Two interesting chapters. It's a snapshot of history. So we're looking back and yet it goes from all the way to Daniel's time to when the time Christ returns. And so we are covering thousands of years. And yet the major theme of this book is that in the end, Jesus has a kingdom that will know no end and you are invited. And you are invited. This past week, Friday night, we looked at and celebrated the 2009 state championship team. Now, nobody in the room was on that team. Right? There were certain requirements to be on that team. You had to be at Holmes High School during those years. You had to be a male to be on the men's basketball team. You had to actually be good at basketball to make the team. And so that's a pretty restrictive, pretty selective group. You're not invited to be a part of that team. However, when it comes to the kingdom, here's the awesome part. Because of what Jesus has done, you're invited. And it's not because of how good you are or what you've accomplished. It's based on the fact that God has come near, that he went to a cross to pay for your sin and my sin. And you are invited into the kingdom that has no end. And so this is my prayer today. My prayer is that you see the greatness of Christ and are blown away by his majesty. We are settling for way too small of things in this world. And yet you have a kingdom and a king who will eternally be reigning. And you can know him. And my fear is you come in Sunday in and Sunday out. And that doesn't change how you live. But it can so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8. Um, and listen, it is a crazy chapter. You've got beasts coming out with four heads and a horn. Uh, you have a ram and a goat uh, fighting it out. Um, things that you don't normally see. And so what you see in Daniel chapter 7 and 8 is he's using apocryphal language. He's trying to explain things that are hard for him to explain. Can you imagine someone during this time, there are no cars, there's no engines. Can you imagine him trying to explain what an airplane looks like? It'd be hard, right? So he's explaining these huge pictures, trying to put into words something that's very hard to explain. And so he uses figurative language. Don't take him literal it would be like if I said, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Right now, what will happen? Some people come to the Bible and they see something like that. Ah, Coach Brown's so hungry he could eat a horse. Uh, you know what? When he was in middle school, he went to Connor and they were the Colts. And so he must have had a bad experience in middle school and, and got mad. And so what it really means is that Coach Brown's going to take vengeance on his middle school uh, sixth grade teacher for giving him a detention in sixth grade. That's what it means when he says he's so hungry he could eat a horse. Or it could mean... I'm just hungry. And so when you come to this language and you see, here's this beast with this head, and this, people try to twist and turn and say, hey, this is what this means. So we got to be careful with that. But we also got to avoid another ditch that people fall into. I don't know what it means, and I don't care. And so here is a cool picture of how it's going to end, and in that there's grace. Because from the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
It doesn't look like any of us are spared from suffering. And Daniel's definitely not. And he has a word for us today that I want us to see. And so it ends uh, with a verse from Hebrews that talks about how we should be in awe of God for he is a consuming fire. Like that's a pretty serious picture. And so I'm asking God to do something that only he can do. You can't shrug your shoulders at the greatness of God. And I told you this story about when guys broke into my house over in Union and I was talking to my small group and I got stuck with sixth grade boys. Uh, and I like teaching sixth grade boys um, because you never know what they're going to say. You never know what questions they're going to ask. Right. And so I'm teaching the, the sixth grade group and I said, oh, man, you won't, I had a bad week. I had guys break into my house and uh, they stole my wife's jewelry and stole some of this and some of that. And then they went downstairs and they stole our Nintendo Wii. And it hit our, our sixth grade class hard. They're like, oh, man, they got your Nintendo Wii. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, they also went to uh, the neighbor's house and went through their stuff. And you won't believe they stole their car. And so I tried to make myself feel better. They put their heads down. One kid looks back up and they're like, man, they stole your Nintendo Wii. <laughs> right? It's amazing how we deem value as we grow. It's amazing how what we value changes as we grow. I had a picture up on our refrigerator. We have a couple uh, getting married in March and they're wearing soccer outfits because of their first date they went to a soccer match. I guess it's not an outfit. I think it's called kits for my soccer fans. Is it a kit? Yeah. Thank you. They had their kits on, right? So they're supporting their team and Balin comes up and man, she's so impressed with this picture. Dad, are we going to their wedding? I'm like, yeah, I think we're going to their wedding. Are they professional? No, this is just a date. <laughs> They're not playing on the field. They're not that big a deal, right? But value to Balin. Oh, we got professional soccer players. It's amazing what we hold as super valuable. How valuable do you hold Christ this morning? How much value is Jesus to you this morning? Is he more important than your job? Is he more important than your hobbies? Is he more important than your free time? Is he more important than your spouse or lack of spouse? More important than your children? More important than your health? Because what happens is when you see Daniel and you catch a glimpse at the Son of Man who is Jesus, everything fades in glory. And then you can rightly see how glorious Jesus is and that changes your life. Changes it now, changes it forever. So that's the goal this morning. We're going to do some work. We're going crazy, some crazy pictures. But there's a lot for us this morning. All right, let's pray, then we'll get to work. Father, I pray for everybody in the room, from the youngest to the oldest. I pray that you wake us up, that you pierce our hearts, that you open up our minds so we can see who you are. That we're not discouraged by uh, the suffering that's coming, but that we're encouraged by a kingdom who will have no end. And I pray that we're a part of the kingdom. I pray that we find our hope in you, that we see the greatness and be in awe of who Jesus is. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start out. You get the vision in chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. You have this vision. It's four beasts. They're coming out of the sea, and the sea represents some chaos, some instability. It's a scary spot. It represents some evil kingdoms coming out of this water. And the first thing coming out, this beast is a lion uh, with eagle wings. 
right? You will not see this creature at the zoo, right? A lion with eagle's wings. And it represents, we find out later, represents Babylon, this great kingdom that comes and takes God's people captive. And then the lion with the eagle's wings passes away and you have this bear and it's raised up on one side and it represents the king of the Medes and the king of the Persians. And then the Persian becomes greater an empire than the Medes. And that's why it's raised up on one side. And it's a terrifying creature. And you see the bones in the mouth because it devours other nations. And it's a powerful nation. But that's not the last kingdom. There's another kingdom that comes up and it's a leopard with four wings and four heads. Crazy looking creature, right? Very, very interesting. You'll see more of this thing in chapter 8. We'll explain it a little bit later. And then the fourth beast with iron teeth and ten horns and then a little horn rising up. And at this point in time, you're wondering, what has happened to my man Daniel? Up until this point, he's just talking about his experiences. He's taken into captivity and he resolves that he's going to be faithful to his God instead of his king. Like, that's awesome. That's chapter one. And then in chapter two, he's about to be put to death. But he's like, no, I can interpret the dream. And God gives him the ability to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And you see how he's going to go through the kingdoms and how Jesus will be reigning at the end. And you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then in chapter three, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the furnace because they won't bow down to a golden image. They want to worship God. And you're like, ah. I understand that. Then you get to chapter 4 and Nebuchadnezzar has another dream and God is able to humble a pride, prideful king and he restores Nebuchadnezzar into power and he glorifies God. And then in chapter 5 you have one of his sons using the vessels that should be used for the glory of God, using it for himself. And then all of a sudden there's a hand showing up writing on a wall and judgment comes to that king that night and his kingdom's taken from him. And then we get to last week, Daniel chapter 6. There's a law in the land that you can't pray to anyone except the king. And Daniel's like, no, I'm praying to my God. And he does it three times a day and he's caught and he's thrown into the lions. And we see how dependent we are on God for rescue. Right. We don't have to fall into lions, but we will fall into sin and we do have judgment coming. And yet the same God that rescued Daniel is the same God that can rescue us by providing his son, Jesus. And so we see those pictures and Daniel chapter, and then all of a sudden we get to this. What in the world has happened to Daniel? And we see after he sees these four beasts, he gets into what is called the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is the eternal God. And, and check out what happens. So you have this mighty kingdom after mighty kingdom, a bear and a lion and leopards and this thing with iron teeth. Like What in the world is going on? Then you see the Ancient of Days, a throne was placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and his hair and his head was pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. There is no comparison to the ancient of days. These magnificent, mighty, powerful kingdoms don't stand a chance when the ancient of days shows up on the scene. So check out what happened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. The ancient of days speaks and the nations crumble. Now, for you and me, you're like, oh, yeah, duh. There is no Rome anymore. There is no Babylon anymore. Alexander the Great. I wonder, I wonder if you guys knew the dates Alexander the Great ruled from. How, are any of you guys in world civilization? 
<laughs> Nobody's going to raise their hand. Alexander the Great was in around 300 BC. He lived to be 32. Took over nations. It's unreal, his territory that he covered. And at 32, he dies. And then guess who rules in his place? Four generals. That's why the leopard here has four heads. Right? It's weird. Like, what in the world? Well, there's a reason. It's pointing to something. These kingdoms were mighty. They made the earth tremble. When God's people saw these kings and how evil and wicked these nations were, it is a scary thing. Daniel is a tough dude. If you get thrown into the lion's den and you come out, you have some courage. If your buddies get thrown into a fire, but you don't get burned up, you got some strength. And yet what we see is at the end of this vision, Daniel is alarmed. He's bothered by this. This is a terrifying scene, but the ancient of days shows up. And then check out what happens. The Son of Man. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Now this is the awesome part of this verse. You see you in this vision and we see Jesus in this vision. Jesus is the Son of Man. You want to know how we know that? He said He was. In the New Testament, He refers back to this. He's on trial for His life. And they're like, hey, are you God? Are, are you really the, the Son of are, are you? And what does He say? He goes, I am the Son of Man, and you will see me on the clouds. He's referring back to this. He's saying, hey, I have all authority in the world. He's saying, you have no idea who you're talking to. And the high priest knows this. That's why after he says this, he's like, ah, what else do we need? Put him to death. He just blasphemed. But they didn't check to see if it was true. So Jesus is right here. The Son of Man coming from the clouds. Where did the beast come from? Out of the what? Out of the sea, out of the water, right? Where chaos is. Where does Jesus come from? From the clouds. Coming from the Father. From heaven. This is a new kingdom, and his end will have no end. Then you see that Daniel's anxious and he wants some more further explanation, and so uh, the angel tells him, These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. Daniel, hey, this is what's going to happen, man. You're in exile and it's not going to go well. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. That's the good news. And so the angel gives Daniel a short interpretation, right? Daniel wants more details, and that's all he gets. And so then I desire to know the truth. They're like, wait a second, tell me some more. And I think uh, some of you guys have already asked some great questions. When? Like, we want a timeline. Like, do we know when Jesus is coming back? Do we have to wait here long? Am I going to see him before I die? We don't know. No one knows, only the Father. There's some things we don't know, but there are some things we know, and that, verse 18, is key. The kingdom is forever, and it's given to the saints. Because you see it there. You see it later on. In verse 21, it says, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. That's a terrifying scene. 
So you have this kingdom, some power coming up, this little horn fighting with the saints of God, fighting with the church, those who belong to Christ, and the saints aren't winning. This little horn is prevailing. And you keep reading, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. That's the second time that's mentioned in chapter 7. And then we see it closed after judgment is given on this little horn. Verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here's the point. The kingdom is yours for the taking if you belong to the king. Do not miss that. That is why chapter 7 is in the Bible. There is an invitation for you. It's better than being on a state championship basketball team. It's better than being invited to a wedding. This is the invitation you cannot ignore. Do you know the king? The kingdom is yours. And I think it's interesting. I was at NCC this past week for basketball. And I think, Mirdy, I think you came out with me. You, you can see the view, right? That view is an amazing view. You look down. But if you don't know Covington and if you don't know Cincinnati, you don't know which is which when you look at the buildings. Right? Because all you do is look down. You can't see the Ohio River. All you see are these huge buildings. And so you're looking, you're like, oh, duh, of course that's Covington because no one has condominiums like that, the round shape. Right? And oh, of course that's uh, Cincinnati because they have some ball fields over there. But if you didn't know that and you're looking out, it's hard to tell where Covington ends and where Cincinnati begins. But as you drive and you go through the city, it's, it becomes easier as you get closer. Daniel's looking out throughout history and all of this stuff is coming at him like this and he doesn't understand it. And it's hard for him to say, hey, this is happening now. This is happening later. And so right here, you get a, kip, a picture of something that's already happened with the four beasts coming out. Those kingdoms have come and gone. And yet now you see a picture of what's called the Antichrist. And you see a picture of Jesus coming back the second time, his return. And that hasn't happened yet. Do you see how much ground Daniel is covering? It's crazy. But one thing we know the kingdom has no end, and he will reign forever. So you get to chapter 8, and then it zones in, right? You have this huge picture, and then Daniel gets another vision two years later, and it's of a ram and a goat, right? Ram and a goat. Ram has a small horn and a long horn. And it says, Gabriel says, hey, this is the Medes and the Persians. The Persians have a greater power. They have the longer horn. And they go, and they go northward, southward, eastward. They start conquering country after country. But all of a sudden, then, to this ramp comes this goat. And it just has one big horn. And here's the crazy part. It says, hey, the goat was running to this ram, and it wasn't even touching the ground. It represents how fast Greece took over. And the angel tells him, hey, the goat is Greece, and the horn is the first king. Do you know who the first king of Greece was? Alexander the Great. Right? And he says he comes, and he smashes this ram. This ram that nobody could touch. No animal could stand against. The goat smashes him, tramples upon him, reigns in his place. And then it goes, when the goat became strong, the horn fell off. The horn was shattered. As soon as Alexander had this massive empire at the age of 32, he dies. Unexpected, and they don't know why. They don't know if he was sick. They don't know if it was malaria. They don't know if he was poisoned. But he just disappears off the scene. And then I already told you the four generals take place. 
And then each of those generals are followed by somebody, followed by somebody. And then somebody comes that goes and destroys the temple of God's people after they had rebuilt it with Nehemiah. And this guy goes and sits in the place of God and says, hey, you worship me. And it's on this language that Jesus picks up on it. And Paul picks on it in the New Testament and says, hey, you know, the end is near because there's another one coming that does the same stuff. He's going to be smarter. He's going to be able to deceive people. He's going to lead people astray. And you need to hold on to the truth because it's going to get bad. And so there's a future leader coming. We don't know who it is and we don't know when. We don't know what nationality. None of that's important. What's important is he's going to lead millions astray. So you need to hold on to the truth. And what happens is um, you see in verse 24 of chapter 8, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. That's terrifying. This little horn gaining in power, leading people against God. He shall destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints by his cunning. He shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind. He shall become great without warning. He shall destroy many and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. Right. He's going against God and he shall be broken. It takes just a sentence. He's going to rise up, try to fight God and he's broken, but not by any human hand. God will take care of them. That's a terrifying sentence, though. And then you see how this ends. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Man, this guy's sick over what he saw and the destruction that is coming. It is a terrifying picture in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And yet, on this side of the cross, we have a hope. That's what Daniel ended with. So there's three things I want us to be challenged for. Number one, are you in the kingdom? We have an eternal kingdom in Christ. Do you know the king? Do you know the king? Have you ever given your life to Christ? And one way to know if you're in the kingdom is who are you following? If you do whatever you want to do, your kingdom is very small because it's only you. You're the king of your own life. You call the shots. You do what feels right. But your kingdom won't last. Your kingdom is with Jesus if you follow him as king. Have you ever called on Christ to save you? Are you following him as a Lord right now? Whose kingdom do you belong to? And I, I love this passage in 2 Peter, and we talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? Now listen, this is in Peter. This is in around 60 to 90 uh, A.D., right? Jesus had been on the scene walking the earth. It hadn't been that long. And yet people are coming to Peter and say, hey, you said Jesus was coming back. Where is he? Where is he? And he goes, from the beginning of creation, the sun's come up, and the sun's come down. We're doing the same stuff. Where is he? You lied to us. Right? And Peter's saying, hey, those scoffers are going to increase. There's a lot of people that doubt what we just covered, that Jesus will reign forever, that he's coming back. There's a lot of people. But you want to know when people stop laughing? When the Ancient of Days sits on the throne. When authority has been given to the Son of Man. Nobody's laughing when he comes back. And I was looking, you see this on, on media, you see this uh, dumb movies like Talladega Nights. Uh, I'm going to pray to baby Jesus and you, and you take it lightly. You see a lot of people mocking uh, who Jesus is and the people that believe in him. But you want to know when the laughing stops? When he returns. And he tells us, hey, I'm not slow in coming back as you think I'm slow. 
He's kind of like saying, hey, you're welcome. Is what God is saying to people who say, well, where is he? He's saying, hey, for me, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. Our time schedule and the minutes and the hours are nothing to an eternal God. He's like, I'm not on your time schedule. I'm on mine and my time is perfect. And he goes, I'm patient, not willing that any should perish. If I come back and you haven't recognized Jesus as king, you're not in the kingdom. It's too late. But... I'm patient. Turn to Jesus today. Because when I come back, you can have the kingdom. That is a beautiful picture of grace. What we sang this morning, amazing grace. That's what that is. Because all of us don't deserve it. But because of the grace and the cross, we can have it and be included into the kingdom. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but should all come to repentance. That's the invitation today. Will you repent? Will you turn from your sin? Will you turn from serving self and serve the living and true King, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ? That's number one. Are you a part of the kingdom? Number two. We have a dangerous and deceptive enemy. You saw the picture in chapter 7. You see the picture in chapter 8. In uh, 1 John 2.18, um, John talks about this a little bit, this thing called the Antichrist. Now listen, if you've never heard of this, this is what the Antichrist does. Jesus says this. The Antichrist says the exact opposite. We are to worship Christ. He says, nope, you worship me. Right. And, and so that's it. He's going to lead people away from God, away from Christ and say, hey, it's all about me. That's what the Antichrist does. And so this is what we see in First John 2, 18 children. It's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Right. There's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of times where you see throughout history people being led astray. When you look at Hitler, Hitler is a small a Antichrist. Right. He is not leading people to Jesus. He's saying, hey, this nationality is the best. And then you get people believing that you can put to death a certain people of a certain nationality. Or if you have a handicap, you can be put to death through a gas chamber. And people are buying that lie. This is what we find out throughout history. People are dumb. People are easily deceived. We have a country founded on a principle saying to, to rationalize um, owning other people. Uh, we'll just say they're three-fifths people. It's called the three-fifths compromise, and we vote it and accept it. Why? Because people are dumb. And if you don't know the truth, you go for anything. And it's happening today. And it's going to happen in the future. It is a terrifying thing when people don't know the truth. And so the question, and it's what Pilate asked you, what is truth? Jesus is truth. His word is true. If you don't know this, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to be able to withstand deception. I'll give you an example from real life. Phil, you know what this is. Monday, we had a PowerPoint presentation in Ms. Baldwin's class. You remember the X, the box for polynomials? I hope you know. <laughs> polynomials, right? We're learning how to add and subtract, multiply and divide polynomials. Before Monday, I didn't remember what polynomials were. 
right? And so I'm looking like, oh, this is going to be a rough uh, few weeks going through polynomials. And so she puts this X way. Hey, this is called X factor in Coach Brown. I'm sure you remember it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> this is how you do it. This is where this goes. This is where you got Yeah, well, we're going to print. All right, good. All right, well, I come back on Tuesday after showing quite a few students how to do X factor. She's like, Coach Brown, you won't believe this. I put up the wrong slides yesterday. We learned how to multiply instead of add and subtract. That's not how you do it. You can't use X factor. I'm like, oh, yeah, I meant to tell you that. I had no idea what she's talking about, right? I have no idea how to use polynomials. How do you get to certain equations? Because I didn't know the truth. Another time, another example. The new uh, $100 bill. Does anyone have one of those? Don't bring it out. I don't have one on hand. But when you look at it, you have this blue line going through it. It's a watermark. There's a Liberty Bell, and in it, if you turn it, it turns different colors. On the back, there's an invisible Benjamin Franklin. As you can see with an infrared light, if you mark it with a highlighter, one of the yellow Expo highlighters, what happens is you get the $100 bill and small lettering on it. That's how people can tell if you have a fake. There's so many protections to counterfeiting the $100 bill that I had no idea about. Don't have to worry about it, but I didn't know about it. In the same way, you guys can be protected from the counterfeiter by knowing the truth. If you treat this book lightly, you will be deceived. And you are constantly being deceived. There's deception all over. Watch commercials. Watch shows. They say, hey, you want to be happy? This is what you need to have. Hey, this is right. This is wrong. You can believe us. Everybody has a worldview and everybody's selling it. It is easy to deceive people. You'll see it in November of 2020 with elections. You'll see it across the globe. You'll see it everywhere. Don't let it be you. And so there's, there's a couple of things I, I want to talk about this. In second, uh, or actually it's in 2 Thessalonians. Paul's writing the church and saying, hey, let no one deceive you. Right? Let no one trick you. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, right? Talking about this little horn, this man of lawlessness is revealed, son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes the seat of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Right? He's like, hey, don't be deceived. This is what's going to happen. But now check out what he says. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. I don't know about you. I, I enjoy UFC. I like boxing. I like to see a good scrap, a good fight. This isn't a good fight. Jesus shows up and says it, and the most powerful person on the planet, done. How does he destroy the Antichrist, this guy who's deceived millions, who has all this power? He says it, and it happens. He destroys him by his breath. And he brings to nothing by the appearance of his coming. <coughs> so this guy, he's going to be bad news. It's not going to be a good time to be alive. And yet Jesus shows up. He says the word and he's gone. And then we see the coming of the lost one will be by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And we have some good questions on this. Like this guy's going to be able to do some things that's going to get your attention. It's going to be very powerful to deceive you. You're like, man, if he can do that, only God can do that. This obviously has to be, listen to who he's worshiping. If he's pointing to himself, you know he's an antichrist. Jesus alone is worthy of your worship. 
And then he keeps going. He's able to do all these powerful stuff, able to deceive those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What you do with this depends on how you'll handle the deception. So here's my question. If you view this as a threat, Chantez, if you knew you had a fight coming up, would you be training? I think so. What's the worst thing about a fight if you don't know you're in it? Right? You would even have a shot to whoop Coach Brown. Stand up real quick. <laughs> Chantez is mad. Something I said. Something I didn't know it. He comes up and he knows he's going to land a haymaker. Do you have a haymaker? Right hand or left? Right. All right. So Chantez is coming up and I don't know. Hey, man, what's up? And my hands are in my pocket and he's cocking back right here and lands this haymaker. There's a chance, not a big chance, but there's a chance he could knock me out especially if I don't expect it. If he puts that right hand right here on my chin, whew, I could be the one hitting the wall, right? <laughs> the problem is when you're in a fight and you don't know it, it's a very dangerous situation. Here's the thing, you're in a fight. And it's not something as simple as being knocked out. It's for your soul for eternity. And Satan doesn't play games. There's a lot of costumes. Hey, listen, there's a, there's a reason there's a lot going on this morning. He doesn't take it lightly. He loves to have you blinded to the glory of Christ. If he can keep you from seeing Jesus as glorious, he wins. There's a reason why this is how it's going. And if you don't know you're in a fight, you're losing. So you better be training. You better be ready for fighting. How do you do that? One, you better get into this. If you're on social media more than you're in the Bible, you're going to be losing the battle. If you don't have some people around you to speak truth into your life, you're on an island, you're going to be in trouble. If we don't keep gathering together, encouraging one another, lifting up Jesus, we're going to be losing the battle. If we don't take what we hear from other teachers and gurus and whatever else out there and take it to the word to see if it lines up, we're going to be in trouble. We have a serious enemy. There is a dude that was fed to lions that wasn't scared of the lions. He's terrified of these two visions. And it's still coming. That's a terrifying thing, so we better be ready. So, we have a dangerous and deceptive enemy. And then we close with this. We are never a people without hope. There's an old song, Onward Christian Soldier. It, it goes like this. Onward Christian Soldier, crowns and thrones may perish. That's what we see. The beasts are gone. Kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. Evil, no matter how big, how bad, how dangerous, has an expiration date. It will not last forever. We know how this ends. It'll be Jesus on his throne ruling forever with his people and his kingdom forever and ever and ever. There will be no more sin. There will be no more enemies. They are gone. That's how powerful our king is. That's how powerful the son of man is. I'm going to leave you with, with this. There's a, a book towards the New Testament, towards the back in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to guide your folks. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, there's this chapter in chapter 11 that talks about all these great heroes of faith. 
right? Daniel's in there. And you start reading this and everything's going well. And, and you want to be in this chapter, right? You, you want to be in chapter 11. These guys that did awesome things for God that had remarkable displays of faith. Until it gets to the end. And I mean, it turns on a dime. Like, ooh, maybe I don't want to be in this chapter. So, so check this out. After David and Abraham and Moses and all these guys walking across the sea on dry land, like all these things are awesome until you get to this part. Verse 35 is where it changes. We'll start with verse uh, 33 so we can catch Daniel. Who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. We remember that from last week, right? Daniel's thrown in. They don't eat him. Their mouths were stopped. He had faith that God would rescue. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Like all of that sounds really good. Like if you show up and the army runs away from you, you feel pretty good about yourself. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Then all of a sudden it turns. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, not fun, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, meaning rocks were thrown at them until they were dead. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Man, that took a turn. Is your faith filled with hope on who God is? About what Jesus has done on the cross and about our future. If not, you won't make it through stuff like that. When stuff like that starts to break out, when persecution comes, if you're not holding on to Christ, you'll let go and go with the flow. Be ready. And I love how chapter 12 answers this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, because we have all these examples, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, throw off the junk in our lives, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's very, very important. Jesus is our example. If Jesus comes to earth and dies on a cross, we can expect suffering. If the king we follow has suffered, we will suffer also. I love, I think it was, uh, I think it was John, might have been Thomas. Jesus is talking, he's like, hey, I got to go back to Jerusalem. Uh, we got to go help Lazarus, right? His, his boys died. He's going to go and he's going to bring him back to life. Now, the disciples don't know that. Thomas goes, Jesus, you know they hate you in Jerusalem. But his answer was, let's go and die with you. Now, I think he was being sarcastic. I can't say that for sure, but I think he was being sarcastic. But I wonder if we would say the same thing. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead, even if it costs me my life. Whether you save me from the lions or the lions eat me, I'm going to follow you. Because I believe in your kingdom and it lasting forever. And you're able to bring me from the grave to you. That's what you're promised. That the saints will rule with Jesus forever. And so I'm going to close with how Hebrews closes. He goes on and, and finishes with this. Therefore, 
Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's very, very important in an unstable world. Don't hold too fast to things that do not last. There's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Acceptable worship. Do you guys offer your daily living to Jesus as a spiritual act of worship? How you sung this morning, was it an acceptable worship of the God we are crying out to? How you live this week, will it be acceptable worship to God? And then it goes with reverence and awe. And that's something I want you to ask for. Ask God to give you a glimpse of His glory. You will be blown away. I want Redemption Church to be filled with this type of awe. I hope you're more impressed with an eternal God who came to save you by dying and being raised from the grave and ascending to the Father and returning. I hope you're more impressed with that. I hope you're in more awe of that than you are anything this world has to offer. Than some banner in a gym. Than some trophy in a case. Be inspired by God. Be inspired at the links Jesus went to rescue you. And then it closes, just in case. So be in reverence and all. This is the type of worship. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Judgment's coming. He's going to make everything right. He has all authority. Jesus is returning. He will rule forever and ever with those who are His. So, are you in the kingdom? Are you training for battle? Do you have hope? Those three things are why Daniel chapter 7 and 8 are in the Bible. Crazy things. Goats with horns, rams with horns that get shattered, crazy looking animals. All to remind us that you have a God who is eternal, who has given all authority to His Son, Jesus. And you need to know Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for just the awe of who You are. And so, Lord, I pray that You do what only You can do. Help us get a glimpse of Your glory. Lord, I pray that You make this real to us. Don't let us be deceived by the enemy. Don't let us run after things that have no glory, but we think are glorious. Help us be wise because we're holding fast to the truth. Help us be a people that hold quick to the Bible, that we treasure your word in our hearts, and that we live it, not just know it. Help us be a people that are in awe of who you are and what you have done for us. Help us be a people with hope, knowing who the Son of Man is. It's in his name we pray. Amen.